Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro, and I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And our theme today is revisiting the dark night of leadership, revisiting the dark night of leadership. And actually, this emerged out of a conversation I had with uh, two young leaders, two young pastors from Bulgaria after the conference. Now, again, we had a summit last week. We called it the Emotionally Healthy Global Discipleship Summit, and we'd made the decision to shift the way we do a leadership conference each year to focus on discipleship. We had prerequisites for people to get in, uh, and we limited the conference to people sitting at tables to 208 people. And uh, it was a it was a huge uh, decision and a great one because we recognized finally that without solid discipleship, we're not going to develop leaders long-term. And if anything, leadership development is an intensive discipleship applied at a high level. Now, many of you know the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, uh, and I've read that. Uh, And what we're really doing here with these discipleship courses is moving people to live out their discipleship uh, on a very high level. And so what was so instructive for me is I, as I met with different leaders from around the world, when I met with these two young men from Bulgaria, Kalo and Alexander, uh, I, I met with them and I, uh, after the conference, I said, how's it going? Uh, what questions are you holding around leadership and your following of Jesus? And they just started to talk. And uh, what was so fascinating about it was we had spoken a year earlier. Now, I've known these guys for a few years, but a year earlier, we had a, a, in somewhat a similar conversation. And their questions uh, were slightly different, but really in the same vein. So I listened for a while and just took notes as they shared. And actually, I'm sharing this with permission uh, with you. And so I'm building this podcast uh, actually around their questions. And the first podcast I did, I called it The Dark Night of Leadership. And about a year ago, and I based it on the questions they had then, and I'm calling this Revisiting the Dark Night of Leadership because I learned a lot uh, a year later as they kind of reiterated some of the same questions. But here, here's the four major questions they had for me. Well, you know, well, first is, why, why is God so unfair? Uh, you know, what wrong have I done? People are projecting onto me as a leader their fears. They don't trust me. They misunderstand us, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, so that was the first issue. Why does God, this unfairness and this suffering in my life? The second was, why is it other people are enjoying their lives going on vacation? And why can't I? I don't have a life as a leader. Uh, The third was, you know, uh, how do we get people to really follow Jesus? I mean, how do you stir up a, a, a desire for discipleship in a consumer society, even though they're in Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern Europe is as consumer-oriented as the, the West, and, uh, you know, how, how do we do that? And uh, so, you're talking around those three questions that our, our time revolved. And so, I listened, and uh, I, I realized a number of things. The first was how slowly we change as leaders. And if you remember, some of you, I've shared about the work of Benjamin Bloom. Benjamin Bloom was a great educational psychologist, and uh, and he, along with a team of thinkers, developed this this process of how we learn and how we change. It's used actually in educational institutions around the world. And I was listening to these folks. I realized, oh my gosh, uh, I just expect people to hear things once or twice and actually be able to apply it. I mean, no, no, it, it's it's the it's this Benjamin Bloom Bloom principle. And actually, this is found uh, in the first chapter of the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. And Benjamin Bloom talked about how it, when we learn something new, uh, there's basically five stages. The first stage, I become aware of something new. Like, for example, uh, you know, there is a dark night of the soul. 
uh, I ponder it. Uh, I think about it. I begin to read articles on it. I actually value it. I think it's really important, uh, stage three. But he talked about in his work that there's a huge there's a huge gap between stage three and stage four of learning something because he called it the behavioral action gap. And that is that you really know you've learned something when you change your life and you move to stage four and five where you reprioritize your whole life and you actually own it. And I realized that for these two guys, much like it is for me and for you, we learn something new, but there's a slow process to actually getting so deep in us that we actually change our lives on it. And I was first so struck by the fact of it's going to take time for them to actually absorb this issue of the dark night of leadership and what that's about. And this is a normal, healthy process that they're in. And uh, so that, that was that was just fantastic. And I want to encourage you too and, uh, in that. So uh, that's, that's the title, Revisiting the Dark Night of Leadership. And I think of myself, you know, I preached about slowing down to be with God uh, for six years, a lot. I was reading books, thinking about it, preaching it before I actually started to live it in a significant way. In other words, I was in stage one, two, three, and I'm preaching and I'm pastoring the church. I'm reading books on it. I value it. But I hadn't changed my whole life. It wasn't until I had a significant sabbatical and went through some things in 2003, 2004, that I actually reoriented my whole life as a, and started to actually live it. And I would say over time, I eventually finally owned it where every part of my life was informed by that. And so as they were talking, I realized that the, the basic teaching of what we call journey through the wall and the dark night of the soul, which is actually part of our basic uh, emotionally healthy discipleship course uh, for all believers, when again, when you get into leadership, it has to be lived on a much higher level, and that they were actually in that. Now, again, a dark night of a soul would be, or a wall is when we have major upheavals in life that confront us, betrayals, shattered dreams, divorces, cancers, and that these are ordinary ways that God transforms us and purges us of deep-rooted sins and empties us of, of life, things inside of us that keep us from deeper communion with him. And, uh, and I'm actually convinced that God prepares a greater level of dark nights for those of us who are in leadership and who are shepherds and pastors especially. And why, you say? Because, because so much is at stake. The only way we're going to mature and grow up and become the unique leaders God's destined us to become is that we respond to him in a healthy way through the dark nights that he allows in our lives. God so loves the world uh, that he, and so loves you as a person of influence with your gifts, talents, experience, your platform, that he's got to do a work of particular intensity in us if we're going to basically cast light and not our shadows to those people that we're serving. And, and so in light of that, now in response to their first question, why is God so unfair? Basically, why is God allowing me to go through all these dark nights? And again, they're pastoring a church in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria. Their church had had a very uh, sad and painful split. Uh, they experienced betrayal. They're experiencing misunderstanding, uh, et cetera, hurts. And I asked them, why do you think God allowed this in your life? And their response was, because God wants to do something new in Bulgaria. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's true. That's part of it. But the key thing here is that God wants to birth something new in you uh, for the sake of the country of Bulgaria. And, and again, I, 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 I reaffirmed that 
This is God's path for every leader in Scripture. Look at it. I mean, uh, the dark nights of the soul are, are God's gifts to form his leaders. Think of Moses. Think of Isaiah. Think of Jeremiah. Think of Daniel. Think of Hannah. Think of Mary. Think of Paul. Think of the apostle Peter. I mean, the great example in Scripture for me is the father of us all, according to Romans 4, is Abraham. In other words, as you look at Abraham's life, you see the life of faith that all of us will follow through. And actually, this is one of the core sessions of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. Uh, And uh, if you look at Abraham and his life, he had a number of walls that led him into dark nights. Uh, First, in Genesis 12, he has to leave his family, his culture, everything he knows, and travel to an unknown place called Canaan. His wife is infertile. For 25 years, they're unable to have children. What a wall. What desolation. uh, What misunderstanding. He's supposed to be a father of nations. He doesn't have one child. Uh, He's got split up from Lot, his nephew. Uh, because there's tension with the shepherds and, and their folks who serve them. And he's got, he has a marital tension going on. He has a child out of wedlock. He's got to send Ishmael away. The guy has got a lot of suffering in his life. And, and then at the end of his life, God has him sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son, uh, and take him to uh, Mount Moriah. And God says, you know, kill your son. Now, you know the story. God meets him there and provides a, a ram in the bush. But what, what's so incredible about the story of Abraham is that God continues to lead him into dark nights through his life from age 75 to 120, which we have recorded in scripture, at least five different uh, severe dark nights. And I mean, if I was Abraham, I'd say, God, haven't I been through enough? I, you know, I don't need this. But but in every case, when you study that passage of Abraham, and I encourage you to, to, to get that spirituality course and go through that study on a base level because it is just a, a tremendous study— uh, that the primary issue that God is doing is he's breaking Abraham. He's breaking his will, his self-will, so he can surrender to the God's will. And if you look closely at his life, he doesn't argue or delay or resist God. By the time he's 120 in, in Genesis chapter 22, he's not dis- disappointed. He doesn't shrink back. Uh, but he's asked to, to let go of anything he's clinging to, and in this case, his son Isaac. Uh, and see, God loves you enough to strip you of things that are even good that may hinder your attachment to him. And that's why so often what we think is is best for us is often the worst. And what we think is worst for us is actually the best. And But this is the ordinary way God grows his disciples. And now especially the way God grows his leaders because he's preparing you and, and doing a work inside of you so that your palate tastes and longs for God who is good. Um, in other words, he's stripping us of things in dark nights to make us the, the unique men and women he's called us to be. That's what happened to David's life. He's not simply restraining you. He's actually pulling out of you and pulling out of me things that are deeply rooted in us that we can't change in ourselves. Only God can do it. And it's in the dark nights are gifts sent by God to make us actually like Jesus. Uh, in other words, things like and, and if you read a book called John of the Cross and Dark Night of the Soul, he talks about things like pride and greed and our irritability, our impatience, our, our comparing ourselves of other people, our spiritual sweet tooth. We, got, we want only the good things of God and not, not so excited about the cross, things like spiritual envy. And, and, and God is seeking to remove uh, even the gluttony of good feelings about Jesus to actually following Jesus. I, that's all I always say to every Christian. When you lose your good feelings for Jesus, 
Thank God, because we want to follow Jesus and not our good feelings for Jesus. And so for us as leaders, these dark nights that come our way, these are gifts because God's got greater revelation for you and a great destiny for you. And one of the great insights of the life of Abraham is every time he goes through a dark night, God gives him a fresh revelation of who he is and his plans. And you can expect the same thing that as you walk through dark nights, and sometimes they last for a year, two years, three years, who knows, six months, you can expect, and as you wait on God, a greater insight into who God is, greater revelation of God's purpose for your life. It's one thing to say God is good. It's another thing to have gone through great suffering and say God is good. And so it's a compliment and a privilege uh, to actually go through dark nights. And so our work at the dark night is to persevere and to stay with Jesus when everything else wants to quit and run. And I can promise you this, you won't, if you stay with Jesus in your dark night, and this was my counsel to these two young leaders in Bulgaria, and I believe very much God's got a great plan for them. God does want to change the country of Bulgaria, and God wants Bulgaria to be a gift to the world, and God wants you to be a gift to the world. But if you'll be faithful and stay with Jesus when everything in you wants to run, you will not recognize yourself on the other side. You'll actually become the extraordinary human being that God intends. You'll end up in places you never dreamed, with people you never imagined. Listen, God's got an incredible future for you, and he wants you to be a blessing just like Abraham was. But the way he's going to get you there, the way he's going to transform you, is through dark nights. Uh, He's going to allow them. He's going to sometimes send you into a storm. But again, there's revelation. I just think of the one revelation Abraham got it when uh, in one of his dark nights, found in Genesis 22, 14, when after he, he's, he's faithful, he stays with God, and the Lord reveals himself and says, I am the Lord who provides Jehovah Jireh. And he realized, yes, God is Jehovah Jireh. I can always count on God. You see, there are truths about God's love and his faithfulness and goodness that can only be known through dark nights. And in fact, uh, John of the Cross, in his, in his great work on the dark night of the soul, talks about there are a few people, just a very few, who are actually entrusted with great suffering, that are almost violent. And if not for the grace of God, you wouldn't even survive. And, uh, you know, I I don't want to be one of those people, to be perfectly honest. But uh, he, he argues that these, these are the folks for whom God has a profound revelation of himself and a tremendous calling and destiny. And I've known a few people like that who've gone through just enormous suffering. It seems unbearable, and yet I've come out to such transformed people. And uh, so, again, let me invite you, fix your eyes on Jesus. I mean, just stay with Jesas But regardless of what you're going through as a dark night today, uh, he will see you through. I can promise you that, that after death always comes resurrection. Well, one, of the, one of the things I invited uh, my two friends to do from Bulgaria in their dark night was to pray for their, their enemies. Uh, in particular, the couple of folks who really hurt them uh, and pray for them every single day. Now, and one of the ways you know that you're on the other side of the dark night is you actually can thank God for having sent them in your life because you realize that betrayal, that wound was a gift. And uh, again, the Sermon on the Mount, which is the ethic of what it means to be a Christ follower, one of the core teachings on there is, you know, pray for your enemies. Uh, Love your enemies and pray for them. And one of the ways we grow in love for people that have really hurt us, that we hate or can't stand or want to run away from, is over time as we pray for them, God changes our hearts into from bitterness to love. 
I don't know how that works. I know it's a miracle. I know you don't want to pray for them, but let me invite you each day to just pray a blessing on them. And again, I, you can't change your heart. This has happened to me. I, I, I my own experience. I, uh, where I've gone one to two years praying for people who've really hurt me that I, I, I just, how can I say this nicely? I don't like anymore. I, I, I want, I want to run away from them. I'm not thinking blessing on them, but I say, God, I don't feel it. I don't want to do this, but I will follow. I'm going to obey your command, and Lord, I pray you bless them. And God changed my heart and give me love for them. And then gradually, over time, uh, it just dissipated and actually became love in each case. And uh, But I know it's a miracle. Only God can do a miracle like that in us. And uh, one of the ways that happens is we pray for our enemies. So, yes, whatever goes deepest inside you goes widest to the world. Uh, whatever goes deepest inside you goes widest to the world. So remember that. Uh, it's a great summary of emotionally healthy leadership and discipleship that it's what's going on deep inside you what's gonna go, is what's going to go out. Don't ever forget that. Uh, who you are is more important than what you do because who you are informs what you do. It affects everything you do. And that's why God is so passionate for you and loves you so much that he brings those dark nights into your life, in my life as well. And uh, again, if there was another way, I'd let you know. But biblically, there is no other way. And experientially, uh, as I've looked at leaders uh, over these decades, I can assure you there is no other way to become the kind of man, the kind of woman God intends. All right, the second question they they asked me uh, around this whole issue of uh, their leadership was, why don't I have a life? It seems like I'm suffering. People are enjoying their lives going on vacation. Why can't I? And really, the issue here is, uh, again, it's your being and uh, who you are. In other words, the question really is, how do I live joyfully when I'm live when I'm under the great pressure of leadership? Uh, how do I find delight in life? Uh, that takes great character. In other words, ask yourself: Is your life worth emulating? You know, Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." You know, my early years of leadership went like this: I'm going to suffer and not really enjoy my life, so that other people can can enjoy life and love Jesus. I knew there was something wrong in that, and that's why in in discipleship, this issue of delight and Sabbath delight and developing rhythms is so foundational. In fact, I think I'm going to make next week's podcast on this topic. And uh, in other words, that that you're, you're learning, you're asking God to grow you in the midst of all this pressure to have a life where there's actually uh, joy. You, you've got, uh, you're, you're painting with a palette of more than one color. Uh, a friend told me the story. He was at a, uh, a leadership conference, and a secular Christian leader was talking to a group of pastors. And he said that the problem with you pastors is you're painting with only one color. You have a palette of all these different colors, but you don't access them uh, because you're so working so hard and so focused. In other words, walking out joy and a healthy, balanced whole life is is a critical modeling. Again, we're back to who we are is more important than what we do. And so it's it's not easy. I mean, developing hobbies, you know, hiking, you know, art, you know, karate, uh, you know, we're pleasure deficient. You know, Paul was able to say, I've learned the secret of being content in, in everything, you know, Philippians 4. Uh, 
In other words, it's living in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, not chapter 3. Genesis 1 and 2 is all about the goodness of God, the beauty of creation, God's delight in it all. And it has been rightly said that so many Christians are pleasure deficient. Uh, we're over-focused on Genesis 3 and suffering and sin, and we really miss the, the, the beauty of Genesis 1 and 2 of God's goodness and creation. That's why Sabbath delight is so important. So my counsel to these two fellow, fellows was, you need to create a life where there's delight. Uh, and where you're modeling, people see you, even in the midst of suffering and pressure, there is a, a joy, uh, and you have a life. You're enjoying your spouse, your children. Uh, and, and again, this was a huge discipleship issue for me uh, as a leader that I had to grow in. And uh, you know, again, life transformed me. We don't want to be living a way that we really don't want other people to live. And so when I'm resenting other people going on vacation, that's an, that's a oil light in a car going on saying, something is wrong here with my own life and how I'm living out God's plan for my own leadership. So get a life. Uh, Jesus had a life, and they called him a glutton and a drunkard uh, because of apparently he had he, he enjoyed uh, life. And I think one of the great insights is his first miracle taking place at Cana in the middle of a, of a wedding. I mean, my goodness, fantastic. The third question they, they raised with me was, how do you stir up a desire for discipleship in a consumer society? And we have an expectation that people will walk with the Lord. But what, you know what, Pete, they go, they spend money and they go to Paris for vacation. And I thought, okay, I wouldn't mind going to Paris for vacation. Uh, and, you know, how do I challenge people, they asked, you know, into discipleship without trying to control them? How do I get that balance? And I, again, let me go back to how do you stir up a desire for discipleship? Let's, first of all, let's be it. Uh, let's be disciples uh, who are actually living differently in a consumer society. But let's also remember what Jesus taught us about the parable of four soils, very important parable. And especially in Matthew's version of that parable, he makes it very clear that the soils are church members. Uh, if you remember, there's there's the path. Some receive the soil, but it disappears quickly. Others are rocky. Others, it's thorns. And only the fourth soil is good soil. And what Jesus is saying is that you can expect that for many people, uh, the word is not going to take a deep root and produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Uh, and it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast and on your own journey. And Jesus talked about the weeds and the wheat, that they're going to be mixed in together. And, and so part of, of leading is actually, you know, understanding Jesus in a sense of human nature and that in any given church or community or workplace, as you're discipling and mentoring, you're going to have the few, and some Jesus actually had 25% that are hungry, thirsty, and actually going to go with this thing all the way. And so we're not surprised. It's one of the sufferings of leadership. You know, one of the most important verses of leadership is, as we're talking about revisiting the dark night of leadership, and it's from Hebrews uh, chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience from what he suffered. We learn to obey through dark nights. We, we, there, there are things, again, that happen in us that can only happen through dark nights. So instead of fighting, resisting, you know, blaming, being upset with God, uh, look for God in it and surrender your will to his will and say, okay, God, what are you trying to do in me? Transform inside of me that I might be more like Christ. But if Jesus had to learn obedience through what he suffered, uh, you can rest assured, so will you. So it's true. 
the patience needed to be a leader long-term is, as we challenge people to follow Jesus, uh, requires patience. And it's always been that way. I, I read an, a, um, a number of studies recently by a Christian sociologist named uh, Christian Smith out of Notre Dame, and he talks about how there's kind of this mushy pseudo-religion that permeates our churches, and he did three major studies, and uh, how uh, he called it moralistic therapeutic deism. You know, there's a God who created the world, he said. They, he had teenagers believe in young adults that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair, but the central goal in life is to be happy and feel good about oneself, and that, you know, God doesn't need to be involved with our lives except when we need to solve a problem and that good people go to heaven when they die. And it's, he found out that's what people believe in our churches. It's it just... It's very different than uh, biblical Christianity uh, and very has very little to do with the Christ of Scripture. And so we've got in our churches and our uh, around the world now a veneer, a shallow, superficial Christianity without a lot of power. And so we're involved in making disciples. This is challenging. It's very challenging. And uh, this is the number one problem in the church today. And again, you can't do leadership development without doing serious discipleship. And... Uh, but the way that God's going to soften you as a leader, who's also a disciple of Jesus, is through suffering. Uh, how do you move from not seeing everything in black and white? Uh, through suffering, you realize there's a lot of gray, a lot of, I don't understand. Um, things are not always uh, black and white. You know, let me close with, with, with this. You know, think of Peter the Apostle. You know, he was a rock. He was the head of the church. He had a, but, you know, he was the disciple who made the great confession that Jesus was the Messiah. But he had a great fall. No disciple was placed higher than Peter. No disciple fell lower. And yet Peter was used again and again. P Peter, was Peter. you would think, would never be used again. Uh, but he was. It's one of the great miracles that God would pardon and forgive him and use him. You know, an unbroken Peter would have been an unbearable Peter. But after that great failure, he was softer, less arrogant. He had a new patience and kindness and understanding of other people's failures. In fact, his breakdown may have been one of the best things that ever happened to him. He's the first of the, of the apostles to see Jesus after the resurrection. Think about that. After what he did and his failure, and after Pentecost, he is given the honor to preach Jesus. Now, I say all this because we serve a God of the second chance. And some of you listening to me, you may actually be in a dark night because of your own sin, because you ended up, you made a couple of decisions that got you there. Well, I got great news for you. God will even take that. If you'll persevere and stay with Jesus in it, surrendering your will to his will, opening your heart that he might fill you and do his work in you, God will take even our failures and weave them to something beautiful for him. And that's what happened to Peter. Uh, we serve a God of a second chance. We serve a God of the great message of forgiveness. Uh, just don't resist it. Um, there's clean pain and there's dirty pain. I like to say, you know, dirty pain is when we do stupid things and we're reaping what we've sown. You know, uh, I say something, you know, dumb to my wife and she's mad at me and I say, oh God, why am I suffering? Well, that's dirty pain because I was, I was reactive, uh, and not very sensitive, but clean pain is there are just things that happen to us. And, uh, the Bulgarians, my, my two friends were in clean pain. Uh, given by God. And you may be in clean pain or dirty pain, but whatever it might be, I've got great news for you. Jesus loves you, and he wants to shape you into a leader that's going to be a blessing to other people. But your path is going to be the same path that Abraham took, the same path that Daniel took, the same path of Paul and Moses and Nehemiah. We can go down the whole list of biblical leaders. Uh, 
It is the path. It's called death and resurrection. That is the way that God resurrects us and changes us. Uh, there is no other way. So ask yourself, how might your crisis maybe that you're in today be an opportunity to discover what's dying in your life? And how could you perhaps reframe it or rename it uh, so that it becomes a time of you finding God or meeting God in a new way and not missing him? And, and what sounds of resurrection might you be able to faintly hear even in the distance now? And who might be a wise companion or two that can help you discern the death and resurrection that God's doing in you and then through you? Because when you're in those difficult dark nights, it's hard to see clearly. And boy, even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane wanted his three friends to be with him, to be praying so he would be faithful. And boy, how much more do we need that? So God bless you. And I'll, uh, I want to invite you to send me questions on Twitter or Facebook at Pete Scazzaro. Uh, because I, I, I love getting questions like my Bulgarian friends did for me for this podcast. And while I've got many, many topics for podcasts, uh, I love uh, some to emerge out of real-life questions that people are asking. So go visit us at www.emotionallyhealthy.org. Uh, let me encourage you to watch the, you know, some videos there about what are these discipleship courses. They are the foundation for developing leaders. And I encourage every lead to go through it. Don't just go through these courses. You must master them. That's why it's great to teach them so that you can give it to other people. God bless you. It's been great to be with you. Look forward to seeing you next week.